Aloha, I'm Ash. Aloha, I'm Matt. We are the Yoga Couple. Welcome back to another episode of the Inner Work Podcast. I'm really excited for today's episode because we're bringing on a very special guest, um, somebody that I've looked up to for a very long time, and I feel so honored to bring on, but, well, I guess you guys already saw the, it's on the title, so I don't know why I think I get to surprise you, but. <laughs> she gets to hide it. She's like, oh, I get to surprise you, but. Yeah, okay, we're right. interviewing Janet Stone, Woo-hoo. and uh, Janet Stone is a world-renowned yoga teacher, and The reason why she's so special to me is because she really embodies the heart of the practice, quite literally. She's a bhakti yogi and a bhakti yoga teacher. She, if you look her up on Spotify, she makes incredible music and we've been listening to her for years and her music has been in kind of the background in our in our lives so. yeah so many it's funny so many yoga classes so many just moments moments in my life and I, I didn't even realize you didn't even know that it her was name. her music and I'm like oh I've heard these songs for so long Ashley's like yeah that's Janet Stone and I was like no way yeah. so hey Ashley um I don't know what bhakti yoga is. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned this word. What is that? Yeah. So bhakti yoga <laughs> is the devotional aspect of yoga. There's all these mm. different paths you can take. You can do, you know, obviously you can do yoga asana um, or you can do, you know, pathway of the mind and study or you can do pathway of the heart, which is which is bhakti and mm. getting out of the head and into the heart. And Janet focuses a lot on that. And the reason why this interview is so wonderful is because Janet is is such a well-versed teacher and she lives it so we're going to just ask her more about how we can live our yoga practice beyond the poses so much of what we see in the world today especially in the west is that yoga is this physical asana practice and as janet will <laughs> later discuss in this interview is that that's really you know just calisthenics so <laughs> i'm really excited because um you know I just, I'm going to put this out here because I want everybody to know this and i got to declare my mission statement. Declare it, babe. Yeah, I want to help bring the awareness of the yes. true yoga practice to yes. the West. Yes. Yes. And I think that all of the outlets where we have with, mm-hmm. you know, this podcast and our social media and retreats and the things that we're doing, I really want to use as a vehicle to help spread the awareness of the depth of the practice to liberate ourselves from our not self and get into, as Janet would say, the awe of the um, one. Yeah, yes. the awe of of life to to wake up to the awe of this moment that it's a miracle to even be in existence at all. And I'm really so excited to bring her on. I'm not going to say any more because the the, the real um, beautiful part of this this episode is all going to come from Janet's mouth. So <laughs> let's just, without further ado, let's bring her on uh, Living Your Yoga Practice with Janet Stone. Welcome, Janet, to the show. Aloha. Welcome to the Inner Work Podcast, Janet Stone. We are so honored and so grateful to have you here. Um, Matt and I have actually been listening to your music for a really long time. And then, of course, we've been following your teachings. And I don't think Matt knew that I had been playing your music on all my playlists for yoga classes. And then when I told him we're interviewing you, I played your songs. He's like, I know all of these songs. Yeah, I was like, no way. We've been listening to these for years. Yeah, it was really, really such a special honor. Well, that is a delight for me to be known 
first from the mantra music, from the chanting, as opposed to the yoga. <laughs> it's sort of reversed in uh, the majority of, of the world, but more and more it seems like people are finding me through, uh, through, the, through the music. Yeah, the music is beautiful, and we're definitely going to want to ask you some questions about that because it has... Um, I actually have goosebumps while I'm saying that because it because you've been you've been in our world like in our ears and in our in our minds and in our hearts just playing in the background of so many special occasions for us. So we're definitely going to hop into that. But before we do, um, you are very well known for being a yoga teacher and even an asana teacher. So before we dive into the music, we'd love to ask you about what you define yoga as and and what yoga means to you and, and who do you think yoga is for? Well, yeah, those are so many questions. And I would start really with, you know, what do I think yoga is? And it's really um, sort of goes between the thinking and the feeling of what yoga is. And so the thinking comes a lot from the tradition. And what I would simply say to that is that it's a cessation of the fluctuation of the preferences. Um, so a stilling of the constant tumult between our longing and aversion, right? trying to grab more, have more, be more, get more, and our pushing away of discomfort and shadow aspects and uh, things we don't want to participate in. And it's finding this solid ground, this steady space within our own self, really. Um, and we often try to model that through our body. But finding this um, stable ground within that within all the fluctuations between birth and death that our life will go through, that we have, in a sense, cultivated a still point to return to. So that's my understanding uh, of yoga. And then the feeling, the living sense of it really has been um, really going through many modalities to, to find that place within and without. Mm. I love that, and we resonate with that so much. Who would you say yoga is for? Yoga is for every single living thing. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning to say, you know, I feel like if we actually look at the natural world, and, and I, I will remove um, homeo sapiens from that for a moment, <laughs> if you look at the natural world, that they are actually living within um, many of the frameworks of what we understand yoga to be. Now you look at humans, and um, it's for every human that's out there, meaning to say it is an art and a science that cultivates um, a pathway through um, non-harming and through honesty and through not taking more than we're being offered, through um, not grasping after and pushing and pulling um, when we're in harmony with the, the practices of yoga, um, they're truly for everyone. What we see these days, of course, is a very um, certain, very small sliver of um, socioeconomic, uh, racial folks, you know, get, getting out there and doing things with their body. And we go, mm -hmm. oh, that's yoga. And actually, if they're living a life of compassion inward and outward, then yeah, for sure. If they're living by the tenets of the of the eight limbs, then yeah, sure. But they're really for every single body and mm. every single being that's here. Mm. I just want to repeat what you just said because it's so beautiful. If if they're living with 
compassion inward and outward than their living yoga. I love that so much. Yeah. I'm going to keep that. <laughs> All right. Yes, please do. How, so how did you find yoga, um, you know, and how did your journey begin? Yeah, kind of in an interesting, subtle way for me in the sense that um, my grandfather and three generations before him were born and raised in, uh, in India. And, you know, they were wow. of a Protestant background, but yet my grandfather, of all of the children that they had, my grandfather um, tended toward um, really more of what was surrounding him there. And it was during the time of Gandhi, and, um, and really he, that was the direction he ended up taking. So when he came back to California and, um, subsequently, you know, my mom had me and so on and so forth. And that, uh, you know, he just was sort of filled with these aspects and these teachings and certainly not trying to teach us anything as, as little children, but it was just around. And none of that really seemed obvious to me. It was all pretty in the background until, um, a particular moment in my life, I was actually um, working in the film industry and was sparked to go on a journey. And my uh, one of my stops was in India. And if I did not just fall in love and also in shock and awe, anyone who's been to India their first time when they're you know young, and uh, <laughs> um, I felt like that it was always within me in some ways. I also started meditation from an Indian teacher when I was seventeen. Um, just uh, met this teacher, Premarwat, and he just became my guide. So um, that was all through meditation until I mm. went to India. Then when I went to India, um, I found so many just teachers that were along my path. I couldn't say they were the teachers. They were just amazing guides along the way. And then I, mm. I, I practiced in Shivananda there. Um but then that just serves a spark to, to the journey that I took. And, and it's, been, it's been a long one, I will say. Mm. <laughs> That's really special. Um, we're going to be going out that way for the very first time this year. We're going to go to Nepal and then India. And I was just looking mm. through um, your Instagram account and seeing all these beautiful photos. And it was just getting me so excited for, for that pilgrimage journey that you're, you're speaking of. And I think it's um, something I've always dreamt of. So, um yeah, it's beautiful to hear you hear you say that it had such an impact on you. Yeah, I would simply say, let her be the teaching, you know, meaning to say, I feel like if, if we're paying attention when we're in India, the teachings are everywhere and not in all the beautiful, uh, sterilized ways that we um, try to make here or we prefer. Um, to me, the teachings in her are, are of all sorts, for sure. Mm. So you were just talking about um, how we see a lot of yoga as asana and um, just the physical part of yoga being really glamorized and focused on. This is the Inner Work Podcast, so one of the questions we like to ask is, um, what do you think the role, what role do you think the inner work has in the practice of yoga beyond the poses? Well, that it. I'm um, not to yeah not not to downplay um, the external, but the inner work is really the the crux of yoga. It is it is the the the, the feet, 
the body and the head of yoga in that it is ultimately where we begin is the first doorway we walk through. But, you know, again, most of us are coming in through this external um, idea of the shapes the body should make, the postures they should do, and those are simply to maybe clean that instrument so that we can have a little bit better access to go inward. But if you look at Patanjali's uh, eight limbs as um, really a beautiful guidepost, I find, for... Uh, compass really for getting in beyond our surface layers, beyond our habits and our patterns and our um, what we call samskaras, which are really our undigested experiences, and digest them and really see what's nutrients and what ways. So of course, the the internal is really the full the full journey, and that is why you know asana without meditation to me feels a little bit like calisthenics, and it's totally fine mm-hmm. or aerobics or and I love it, and I and I think it's so important to know our body. And if anyone just has even a deeper breath or gets into that vagus nerve uh, and calms down the adrenals and <laughs> the fight or flight, you know, and they can then maybe feel their heartbeat and feel more kindness, beautiful. That's great, and and that you can use the body to go inward. So it is, you know, to me, it's um, what we call the spundic relationship. It's this contraction expansion the contraction in this in this relationship would be that going inward go deep inside and then move back out into the world with these new internal discoveries of what it's like to not harm not harm ourselves um, through our internal dialogue not harm our, harm others outside of ourselves through our choices that we make food clothes consumption um, words you know just a little stuff like that. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, it's great to hear you say all of that, too. And it, it, it's interesting when you bring up the, you know, Pantajali and the Yoga Sutras, too, the original asanas were literally like different versions of how to sit for meditation, you know, so it's, it's yeah. great to always remember that. Uh, I love how you put it, you know, cleansing and, and preparing the, the vehicle in a sense to go inward. And yeah. I love that. And I, I love that we have the opportunity to talk to you of all people because you really um really harness the devotional mm-hmm. practice in yoga and so i can't wait to hear more uh from your perspective what does it mean to have to bring in devotion into yoga so to go beyond just the the physical and the, even the meditative and then bring in this almost this devotional to something higher yeah and that's that's it's such a good question, and bhakti yoga is one of the pathways of yoga, and it just happened to um, be my pathway. And bhakti is is really about participation, and bhakti yoga actually wants us to bring all of us, all of our emotions are valued in bhakti because they're all used as energy, and through this um, devotional practices, and to me when I say devotional, I think a lot of us in the West think um, something external, and I definitely you know, love the stories of Hanuman and, and, and call to all of these deities as aspects of the self, you know, and as aspects of the one. But bhakti is truly about this participation, and we, we use all of this aspect to um, move from uh, a place of being stuck in our thinking that we're, this life that we're performing is the life, and the devotion, to go back to that, is really, to me, Devotion to presence, devotion to the moment, 
devotion to being fully here. And I might want to use the story of Hanuman and him discovering his superpowers um, because he was devoted to um, Sita and Ram. And so these are these external characters, but what they represent is Dharma, which is the highest path, the practice, the teachings, community responsibility, and Sita, which is earth, which is nature, which is purity, right? Mm -hmm. And so in his devotion to that, he unearths his own superpowers and he has these abilities to become vast and small to be to leap great leaps and and to me that's just a gesture and a story that reminds me oh yeah when i remember what my highest path is when i'm connected to that when i'm connected to nature and yes the natural world and also my true nature then i feel like i have these capacities that overcome some of my small mind and my small self. So devotional can seem very um, floaty and high and out there transcending, but to me it's deeply grounded and deeply rooted. And it, it just happens to be the path that my life has taken, you know, that through my heart, through love and compassion and through um, right action have I found devotion and um, to be present through discomfort is not easy to be present through even super high highs people anesthetize themselves right when things are going really well mm -hmm. it's like let's drink but and not that I'm putting any of that down it's just not for me you know because it's like I want to feel all the fields love it just presence through all that is being human in this embodied form and being present with what is and I love that you said that it doesn't it doesn't necessarily need to be a devotion to something outside of yourself because that is one of the conceptions I think a lot of us have and I wanted to ask you about that is that how would you speak to someone and our listeners? Can anyone of any faith or religion start to incorporate those de devotional practices? And I, and I know in a lot of ways you you hit on that, that it could be devotion to presence, but um, there are the, the deities aspect of it. Um, what would you recommend or how would you describe that to someone who, who does feel like it may be in conflict with their religion? Right, right, because you know, it would contradict uh, a belief structure, yeah? And is that true? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, like maybe like feeling it, like, am I am I doing something wrong if I'm singing this mantra that, you know, has mm, the name Hanuman in it? How could we view that mm, differently? Oh, yeah, well, certainly. And, and, you know, I'm always open to people just trusting their own comfort levels and, and having their own internal mantras or not participating, you know, just kind of feeling like, okay, I'll be in the space and, and of it. But yeah, I mean, my sense of the, of, of what was offered is Hanuman and Ganesh and all of these came pre, they predated ism, meaning Hinduism. Mm. And so they're not actually, and they've become incorporated into what has been sort of religiousified, but they, were, they predated that, and they, they, in a sense, were an expression of the one. Meaning the way that they, I experience them is that we look at all the people around us. We look at all the people in our city, then we look at all the people in our country, and then we look at all the people in the world. And each one of them has a different expression. Mm. 
And the note is that the, the teachings of yoga is that it's all an expression of the one, that there's one awareness, one consciousness behind all things. And that it's, it's not, not dissimilar from the ocean uh, when it's um, undulating and there are those little ocean peaks. And in Hawaii, you would know this, right? So there's all these peaks. And Ganesh or Hanuman or your next-door neighbor or you is one of those peaks. And looking over at the other peak, having, like, derogatory, negative, like, oh, but they think this, or they wear these yoga pants, or they practice that style of yoga, or, oh, they do that religion, or they do that. When, in fact, it's all the ocean. Mm. <laughs> it's all interconnected, right? Mm. And so that's really how I experience it. Now, the deities, because we have trouble as humans seeing ourselves as a part of consciousness or the divine or something grander, that it can be easier for us to see outside of ourselves and look at an aspect that we want to cultivate. So the, the aspect of Ganesh, um, he would be representing new beginnings, representing uh, removing obstacles. Uh, for me, it's the obstacles of misperception, you know, or my own mental obstacles. But um, so I look outside to sort of get to remember, to get inspiration, um, to that, that maybe that can reflect back in me and I can remember, oh, right, this, this aspect of myself that can begin anew in each breath and in each new endeavor. So I don't know if I went way off, but, you know, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> no, I could go down, down this, uh, this journey for a very long time. But, yeah, so that, that, that's kind of how it works works for me and how I feel into it. No, I, I love that a lot. Um, and, and, I, and I'd love to ask you about mantra next, but um, just hearing those different names like in the music and as you're chanting and instead of focusing on personifying it as something that's separate, really just focusing on the energy or the essence of cultivating that within ourselves or giving honor to that aspect of life in general, not necessarily um, personifying the name as a thing outside of us. I like that. And for yeah. our listeners who don't know, Janet Stone, um, besides being an amazing yoga teacher and, and being a plethora of knowledge, she's also a wonderful musician. And um, I highly recommend looking her up on Spotify. That's Janet Stone. And um, like I said earlier, we, we play her music often. So I'd love to ask you about what your style of music is that the that is called mantra and how can it help us? I know these are all kind of a lot of questions and, and, and really what what is it about um, what does it have to do with the yoga practice mantra in it in it in and of itself? Well I get again take many paths on this and thank you for, for the introduction around around the music and I wouldn't even call it music and, and for me because it just feels like <laughs> when you ask me what my style it is it, it just it is pure devotion meaning anything that comes I wouldn't even call myself a singer you know mm. and that's just me but you know it just it's it's um, it's what comes forth when I am calling to these places. Um, deep within myself and, and outside myself to, to remember because we live this life and we forget we forget the value of each breath we forget um, the value of each life each life you know we get caught up in the dramas and the spin we also feel isolated and separated the moment you open up your voice you begin this connectivity with the outer world you begin sharing and pulling out these, these vulnerable aspects. So that's my style. It's my own vulnerability 
emanating out, right? And, you know, mantra in and of itself really means the man is the mind, manas, and tra is instrument. And it's basically the instrument that gets you from your, uh, across the wild terrain of your mind mm. into the heart. So that's mantra. And so you hear every tradition has had one. I mean, every day, they're, they're in every single tradition, some type of repetition, some type of um, way to get the mind from its flurry and its chasing all of the thoughts to a stiller point and to a more grounded point, to a deeper point within. So that's the sort of internal journey. Then the external is, again, this connectivity with the outer world. And you add my voice with another voice, and another voice chimes in, and another voice chimes in. And all of our individuation, all of our ways of separating my apartment, my phone, my thing, my stuff, falls for a moment. Mm-hmm. And we're connected. And there we are. We're just sitting there sharing our voice. So whether mm. you're saying in your mantra in English, peace, 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 or shanti, 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 you know, peace might feel more resonant. I am grateful to, you know, call in Sanskrit only because I like to call in not my, my native language. I like to, um, because I don't have as many mental attachments, mind attachments mm. to the words. Mm-hmm. Right. So it actually removes me from the frontal lobe, drops me back into a feeling state, a remembering state, something beyond my momentary drama. Does that make sense? Yeah, That was the coolest description I've ever heard. I love that one. That was so cool. (laughs) That, um... (laughs) Cause, cause, cause I hear that often. I mean, even Matt, you've had, um, you've asked like why in Sanskrit or, you know. Yeah. My, when Ashley exposed me to my first kirtan, I remember having all these questions for her about it. And, and I love how you put that because it really does. I'm very analytical. So I like that, uh, version of how you said it pulls you out of the front frontal lobe and, you're right. When when we use our own language, there's so many uh, connotations and connections, and all these. There's all these. This whole narrative behind the words that, yeah. when you start using Sanskrit, suddenly it takes you out of that, and you can really uh, get out of your head and into the experience. That's so cool. I love that. Yeah, so resonance that's happening, right? And again, I'll go back to the vagus nerve. It actually that vibration calms the system down, slows the heart rate down. Low, you know, um, lowers the blood pressure. I mean, on a physiological level, it's happening. And then I have people coming to me nearly constantly saying, I don't know even know why I'm crying. I don't <laughs> even know why I'm giggling. I don't know why, you know, because we go beyond behind that need to constantly create uh, and be wrapped in the structure of drama and, again, the frontal lobe. And you're just a feeling being. And mm. to... To, to just even remember yourself for a moment can be beautiful and tear-inducing and just like, oh, right, right. Mm-hmm. It's not just my to-do list. I am not just the busyness that I express through my life. Right, right. And speaking about that that busyness, and, and we're in this Western world especially, you know, we're so focused on doing things, getting things, and like you just said, all that busyness, how does yoga help us undo? It's like this practice of undoing. Can you maybe elaborate for our listeners what that what that means? Yeah, that's 
that is probably at the heart of my teaching is that we're actually not doing yoga. It's doing us. Like, we're, <laughs> we're, if you think of it like, um, Sometimes when you order those Amazon packages and they have a box inside a box inside a box inside a box, right? <laughs> and it's just one little, little nugget that you, one little thing, but it's all wrapped. And each one of us, in a sense, are wrapped. We're wrapped in uh, where we were born, what family we were born into. We're wrapped in our family's karmas, like old stuff that just pours down the line. We're wrapped in our socioeconomical uh, structure, the skin color so on and so forth, right? All of this is, are the boxes around us. Mm. And yoga actually asks us not to put more facade up, not to wear more, get more fancy outfits to cover up and perform this life, but to actually open these boxes and look inside and go, hmm, why, why are these thoughts my thoughts? Where did they come from? Mm. And do I want them? And can I... Uh, undo some of these thought structures that actually make up who we, how we see the world. Mm. And so it is entirely undoing and not doing. So, you know, I joke that we're not doing yoga, you know, it is actually right. doing us or undoing us. Right. And this, it's only for the, it's not for the faint of heart. It's only for the courageous, courageous, courageous to be vulnerable to be in the great unknown, and that is all that journey back to that still point. Mm, wow. Absolutely, um, I I have a intuition that's been kind of probing at me since we kind of started. Uh, I I want to get radical here for a minute with you because I feel like you are able and willing to go there with that courage you just mentioned. Oh, yeah. So here we are in this experience of individualization where we we appear separate but we're actually the same one so what are we doing here then are we just all loving each other what is this I, I for lack of a better way to put it what is the goal of yoga then when we realize this it is interconnectivity so, it is interconnectivity it is really that understanding that one action i make affects all. Mm. So to live, the, to live then in gratitude and love for every present moment. Yeah, it's really to be awake to the divine or the beauty or the grace or the awe, whatever, however mm. you want to name it, in all things and all moments. That life is to express life. Because mm. life is just being life. Like the moment we get. Those cells come together, here we go, and we begin this journey, and we take our first breath, and our life force flows through us, is the moment we get to express, and so it might not be for you to be all lovey in this lifetime, and that's fine, but if, if you're present and aware, and you can bring and notice some form of awe or grace, even in the, even in the most treacherous things that we all are aware of these days, we all get to hear about it, all see it. It's everywhere, and mm. that's kind of what gets focused on. But what do we want to get up to in our actions, in our life, and with this precious life resource we have? Wow, I I'm getting uh, chills and having a sense of deja vu right now, <laughs> uh, which is so trippy. But um, yeah, I just I, I, I think what what comes to me as you say that is like 
getting lost in the magic and the mystery is that am i maybe hearing that that correctly like just just being in it being in the magic and the mystery i think the mystery yes and 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 if we're calling magic like awe because yeah yeah it's all yeah it's just lifeness you know and Mm. and it has um it has a scientific sense to it but it also has a complete outrageous awe to it oh yeah like uh, like unexplainable like I, yeah. I'm, I, like I've told you, like I'm very science based, and the more I learn about the universe, the more I'm just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, are you right. kidding me? Like, it's ridiculous. Like, this existence is so unfathomable, and yet we all yeah. act like we know what we're doing and we know things. No. And it's like, are no. you kidding me? This is ridiculous. We're existing. Like this dream. is this is like dream, magic, mystery, wonder, awe, like all these words of, just like. Yeah. We don't know anything, so how can we be? We should just be like, yeah, mind blown, mind blown every day. Um, yeah, so like I, look at my hands. Yeah, it's oh my, look at I fingernails. Like, exactly, exactly. Okay, beautiful. I'm and I'm so glad that I, like I said, this intuition was coming up since we started talking, and I was like, I really want to go there for a minute. And just, yeah, go there. And I just want to like connect on that level and just be like. Janet, we're in bodies. Isn't this crazy? <laughs> Matt is staring at his fingernails right now. <laughs> I'm so glad because they're they're mind blowing, right? <laughs> it is. It's it's really and I and I think that you know to come to kind of bring it back to the earth in a sense and back to the yoga practice. I feel like for for us, we've always seen that that's really. The goal of yoga is to draw you back into like the, the mist, awe. the awe of like, look at you're in a body, you're, you're breathing. <laughs> Did you? Are you keeping your heart beating? Because I'm not beating mine. It's doing <laughs> yeah. it for me. You know, life yeah. is life. Life is living through me in a sense. Like I'm not mm. doing it. And yeah. and and to and kind me. of to kind of reword how you put it, like it's doing us. Like it is. Yeah. Life is coming through mm. us and animating us. Yep. Really cool. It's- it is, it is. We're having a moment, man. That's, and that's, that's a wrap, guys. So just yeah. everyone go everyone, sit everyone, on that. Everyone go be in bliss now and just ponder that. I feel like we're the people who you would think we're on drugs. Like we're looking at our hands. Right, like, Whoa, right. Look at, but that's how, I mean, that's truly, you know, what yoga has that in it. And, yeah. and many, of, many of the traditions and practice where it's just like pay attention. Absolutely. Each heartbeat. Each heartbeat is a is is absolute miracle. Miracle. It's an absolute miracle. <laughs> and and the fact that, you know, all the internal organs and the fact that I'm on a podcast with you, I mean, what is that? It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. all miraculous. It's and beautiful. So cool. It really is. And you know, since you brought up the um you know, it's as if we're on drugs. It's kind of funny. Like, I'm sure you're familiar with Ram Dass and, yeah. you know, his his whole realization of, like, he using all these psychedelics and then he realizes, but wait a minute, actually, just everyday life is this psychedelic in a sense, you know, yeah. and, and it's all just about attuning our awareness to it. Um, yeah. And so, you know, kind of kind of bringing it back on that note. How, how have you witnessed yoga evolve? Yeah, do you think this is where we're heading? Yeah, like, are we? Do you have we'll... hope that like we're gonna head this way to like this true depth of like the the real self realization or the epiphanies of of the mystery? Oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> we can hope, right? We can hope. 
No, I mean, of course. I, I think it, it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you mm-hmm. take it out of um, the hands of a, a small few, right? The Brahminical caste. Mm-hmm. Um, certain castes that were only allowed, men that were only allowed to touch into yoga, right? And when that expands out, it becomes, you know, there's a little more tantra to it, a non-dual. It becomes a little more inclusive, but still there's a lot of mystery and a lot of shrouding. And hundreds and hundreds of years go by, and it ekes out in these ways, and there's complications and problems with the way that it moves out, and it's just like squeezing toothpaste out of a tube. You can't put it back, you know? Then whatever culture that it goes into um, will own it, in a way, right? They have to assimilate it in, in their way and express it out in the way that it's expressed. And meaning to say, in let's just take the West as an example, that we have a competitive, very performative um, culture and mm-hmm. get higher than somebody else, win, get more, have more, be more. And deeper back then, um, more now these days more followers so how have Mm -hmm. I seen it change radically (laughs) in 20 plus years and also I can't even imagine go back another 100 years right what we call yoga now to me um, in a good chunk of the sense is not it's not close to what yoga um, is defined as yeah so if you take the definition of yoga it's nowhere it's not nowhere near it and that's fine though to me I mean I don't I'm not the yoga please thank goodness I'd be exhausted but what it does have is that it, if throughout that, if even a little bit of pranayama or a little bit of sitting in, in mindfulness or a pause before all the chaturangas or whatever, even just a moment to feel yourself mm. and to sit with yourself and to breathe into your being, your body, if that can be beneficial and then that benefit ripples out, then go for it. Yes, it's definitely not close to the definition of yoga. It's really not. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. not. However, uh, it has an aspect, and if it carries an intention or a tone to it that can heal someone or awaken someone and then maybe make them a little bit more curious and they come closer and they come closer and they come closer to the the seed, the core, the um, bija, the, the, the center of yoga. You know, then great. And all the other folks on the periphery, beautiful. If they're a little bit kinder, if they are a little bit more aware of their actions on this planet and on our environment and on those around us, then beautiful. Mm. I don't know if I answered your question. No, you did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then on that note, as there's so much information out there about yoga and, well, it might be leading baby steps toward the depth of the practice. Where can we start to look for, you know, the actual teachings that are keeping the original purpose alive? Like, what resources would you recommend in the information age where there's so much now with social media? Where can we go to start to cultivate a a true practice that's going to lead to the liberation that yoga promises? Oh, wow. Yeah, can we start that? <laughs> can we start that resource platform, please? Um, I it, it's so tricky because we would think, oh, let's go to 
the original, the origin, let's go to back to India and go to some Indian teachers, but there's so much controversy and scandal and misuse of power everywhere. Mm. Um, so you can't even, you know, say, oh, that's where you're going to get to see the core of the truth of it. You know, it might be closer to some aspects. Um, I, I think that I would give responsibility to each individual who is curious enough to really look beyond the surface, look beyond mm. the external, and be curious enough to go into what is resonant within them. Because mm. that's, that's what yoga, you know, when it comes alive is when resonance meets, right? You have a teacher, and that's really the tradition is that you find a teacher. And that doesn't mean that that, that teacher can be on Instagram. That's absolutely fine. And, and people have found me through Instagram, and I'm so grateful for, for these external platforms that, can interconnect us, um, but you can hear if you are really listening for the truth in inside the teaching. Mm. And so, I would really just give it back to the the inquirer as to what is it that you're truly looking looking for. Because we can, I can recommend a billion Dharma books. I mean, there are so many amazing books written by Eastern, Western, some that have nothing to do with yoga, some that have to do with you know, our family line and karmas and but said in different language and so it's 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 someone listening for the resonance that, that will awaken something in them or remind them of something um, that they're looking for. So mm. again, I don't know if I'm gonna directly answer that. I can't say it's on here or on there. I mean, I didn't do online programming forever until I got you know, I travel the world fifty percent of the time. I'm out around the globe and enough people were saying I I need this because mm -hmm. my life is like this you know and, and in this structure I can't run around and just go immerse myself in all these places or in India so you know I started I started making online content for that reason and so you can't say that it's bad or good it's just I hope that those who are in search of it will not be duped by something that is you know, making false promises, really. Mm. I'm so happy you said that. I was hoping you were going to, to answer in that way, and of course you did. So so <laughs> all of our listeners who are listening, um, just keep checking in with yourself because the truth is within you, and you will be able to recognize it, you know, in that in that spaciousness and that stillness. You'll, you'll know. And mm. I definitely feel a knowing talking to you, Janet, mm. and I know Matthew does yeah. as well. And we highly recommend to our listeners that you look up Janet Stone. And if you're interested in diving deeper into your yoga practice, um, she's an amazing resource, hence the invited to hear all here on the podcast. So Janet, where can our listeners practice with you? What do you have coming up? Where can they learn more? Um, please tell us. Yeah, you know, I am just look for me. I'm there, you know. <laughs> I, am, I, I, I do deep sadhana practice and sadhana is really just coming together for, um, for that undoing, for that work of consistency. As they say, Discipline disrupts distraction, and we're so distracted these days. So, JanetStoneYoga.com is where so much information is. Um, Instagram, JanetStoneYoga, Facebook, same. And, you know, it's just, it's easy enough if you want to find me. I have a home community I've, I've cultivated, held uh, in San Francisco for 18 years, and I'm here about half time. So, just paying attention to when I'm around, and, and the community has a life of its own. 
now at this point. So um, even if I'm not here, it's still, the river's still flowing. So mm-hmm. yeah, you can find me in so many different ways. Beautiful. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure to connect with you and, and to resonate and and to um, <laughs> kind of, you know, yeah, to just affirm that, to really get lost in the awe for a minute of of forgetting the separateness. I mean, that that's pretty rare. So I really, um, uh, I don't even know how, if there's really words that can convey that. So thank you. Yeah. And, um, and I guess maybe this, maybe in the deepest sense of what we know it to mean, namaste. 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 It has been an absolute pleasure. Mm-hmm.